sermon. So if you just turn there while I set up the passage, that'd be wonderful. We've been preaching through this uh, sermon series titled Life's Healing Choices, and it's based off the book by that name, Life's Healing Choices, or actually it's Life's Hurts, Habits, and Hang-Ups and Their Healing Choices. Life's Hurts, Habits, and Hang-Ups and Their Healing Choices. So today, I thought I'd tell you where we've been and how we've got to this point. So, and these are on the screen. These are the eight the eight principles outlined in this sermon series. The eight principles outlined in this sermon series. And so let's review the eight principles and how we got to today right now. So, principle one, realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. We went through that a number of weeks ago. We talked about this. This, this is important for all of us. We all must realize that we are not God. And we all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups that we're dealing with. As a Christian living in a, in a world, in a fallen world, we, we have a fallen world and we have a sin nature. And the Holy, Spirit is at, the Holy Spirit within us is at war with that sin nature. We are all in recovery. And we all need God's help to deal with these life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Secondly, the second sermon was about earnestly believe that God exists. That I mattered Him and that He has the power to help me recover. You know, this is important. Obviously, we all got to remember God exists. I think that's why we're here. We all recognize that God exists. We also must recognize we matter to God. We matter to God. Now, just think about that for just a moment. The God who is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, means he's present everywhere, even outside of time, those those. Solar systems and galaxies far, far away that we can only see with the Hubble Space Telescope. God created those, and yet he cares about you and me. He cares about us. We matter to God. Number three, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Number four, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and someone I trust. This is confession, it's repentance, it's following the instructions in James. Last week we talked about this. Voluntarily submit to any and all changes God wants to make in my life. And humbly ask him to remove my character defects. That's Romans 12, 1 through 2. If you were here last Sunday, we talked about transformation. God wants to change our life. He wants to transform us. He wants to to, uh, conform us to his image. And now today we'll talk about number 6 right here. Evaluate all my relationships. Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for a harm I've done to others when possible, except when to do so would harm them or others. That's what we're talking about today. In the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about the seven and eight steps or principles. Reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. Reserve a daily time with God. That's, that's, that's daily devotions. It's important that we all have a daily time with God. We're spending time in His Word and time in prayer and time in reflection. That's what that is. And then principle number eight. Yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and my words. These are the eight principles in the book, Life's Hurts, Habits, and Hangups, and Their Healing Choices. And they come from uh, Celebrate Recovery as well. So today, my theme, evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others when possible, except when to do so would harm them or others. 
Evaluate relationships. Offer forgiveness. Offer repentance. Think about the divisions within the church. There, are, there have been too many divisions within the church. There's been too many times where people have been hurt by their friends and family within their own church. Right? I'm sure we've all experienced negative divisions within the church. And this is why this theme is so important. We need to repent. We need to forgive. We need to confess. We need to try to reconcile as much as possible. Some of you might have divisions within your friends or family, within your church family, within your biological family. And my challenge and my encouragement for you today would be reconcile, forgive, repent. The church is a place for sinners. The church is a place for people who do wrong things, and I'm one of them. But the church is also a place where once we commit to Christ, once we commit to be disciples of Christ, we commit to grow, to grow and be like Christ. We'll still mess up, but we repent and we acknowledge our mistakes and confess them to God and others. I want to read from Acts 15, verses 36 through 41 right now. So if you haven't turned there, please definitely turn there to Acts 15, verses 36 through 41. Acts is in the New Testament, right before Romans, after John. And we're in Acts chapter 15. We get to Acts chapter 15. We are right after Paul's first missionary uh, journey, his first missionary journey. And in Acts chapter 15, we're right after what's called the Jerusalem Council. I don't, I'll plug this right now. Uh, I do Facebook devotions. If you're on Facebook, you can see these little devotions that I'll put on, usually Monday through Friday. And if you're not on Facebook, that's okay. The rest of the world is, but you don't have to be. And uh, nothing wrong with that. The videos are also available on our church website. I started adding them a few weeks ago. They're on our website, BethelFriendsChurch.com. And they're just five to ten minute videos. I don't do a lot of preparation. But right now, I'm actually going through the book of Acts in these little videos. I'm just reading scripture and making a few comments in between. And you can find them under the videos tab on our BethelFriendsChurch.com website. And you can also find them on Facebook. However, we are not yet on Acts chapter 15, but we are today. Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. I actually have it on the screen today. It says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Barnabas is the encourager, and Paul says to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul the apostle and Barnabas had gone on this missionary journey. They had gone all over the known world and they had visited people and they had planted churches. And Paul and Barnabas are talking right after the Jerusalem council and they say, let's follow up. Let's go visit them again. Let's see what happens. Verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia. And had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with them and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, Cilicia strengthening the churches. Notice right here, that's all we're going to read for now from right there. If you want to know more, you can read it yourself, and I encourage you to, and you can also watch the videos online. But notice right now that Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement. Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement that even separated them. Paul and Barnabas, they are an example 
of forgiveness and reconciliation. It is quite awesome that right here in the book of Acts, the New Testament, we see Paul and Barnabas as an example of forgiveness and reconciliation. Let's talk about that for just a moment. This, degree, this disagreement started in verse 37. In verse 37, Barnabas was an encourager. He wants to give John Mark a second chance. Now, what happened with John Mark? I'm glad you asked. In Acts chapter 13, verse 13, Paul and Barnabas are on what is called their first missionary journey. And they are on the, on the beginning of their first missionary journey. They're traveling all about the Greco-Roman world. They're declaring the gospel. And John Mark goes back to Jerusalem. John Mark deserts them. He goes back to Jerusalem. There may be several reasons for this. The NIV study Bible has a text note on Acts 13, 13, which says the following. It says, homesickness to get back to Jerusalem, an illness of Paul necessitating a change in plans and a trip to Galatia, and a change in leadership from Barnabas to Paul have all been suggested as reasons for John Mark's return to Jerusalem. Either way, now Barnabas is saying, let's give him a second chance. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no way. John Mark deserted them once. Paul's not going to let it happen again. Now, if you read through the book of Acts and you study the Apostle Paul at all, Paul was an extremely driven personality. I think he was very type A and he was very gung-ho and he was going from city to city traveling. You know, they're going up and down mountains. Traveling was rough back then. I mean, how many of us have gotten tired of traveling before and maybe got a little homesick? That happened to John Mark and the traveling wasn't nearly done, so he goes back to Jerusalem. So now the second missionary journey comes along. Barnabas is related to John Mark. Barnabas says, give him a second chance. Paul says, no way. Verse 39 says that they had a sharp disagreement. It wasn't just a small disagreement. This was a sharp disagreement. Have you ever had a sharp disagreement with someone? What do you do? How do you handle it? I was once listening to a counseling program. I think it was focused on the family. It might have been James Dobson's Family Talk, one of those two programs on the radio. And they talked about this couple. They were talking about marriage counseling and marriages. You know, because in marriages and, and, and in relationships, people either fight or flight. And that means when there's an argument, one person fights and another person might flight. Or maybe both people fight. And then the fireworks really start. But usually, sometimes, one person fights and another person flights. One person wants to fight it out and argue, and the other person wants to run away. What makes it worse is the fighter wants to keep on arguing. Let's settle this down. Let's settle this down. And the flighter is trying to back out of it. We need a timeout. We need a break. And as the fighter keeps on fighting, the flighter gets more upset, and the, the argument just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and you just need a timeout. Sometimes you need a timeout. So this couple on this counseling program I was listening to, what they did is they put little Snickers bars all over the house, little baby Snickers. So then when you're in an argument and you need a timeout, you need to grab a Snickers. <laughs> because as you're chewing that Snickers bar, you're chewing. You can't argue. You can't fight. You're eating a Snickers bar. I like that idea because I like Snickers. I think we should do that. All of our houses just put, in the church too, just put Snickers bars all around. Well, right now, Paul and Barnabas are having 
a bitter disagreement. I think they need a timeout. I think they need a Snickers bar, but they haven't been in, they haven't been invented yet. You know, Paul being this driven personality, obviously he's not letting up. Barnabas is an encourager, but maybe he's a driven personality too. They're both just fighting it out. They had a sharp disagreement. They had a sharp disagreement. Paul and Barnabas were partners, partners in ministry. And sometimes we like to take this passage too far. Sometimes we take this passage and we, we, we make it seem like they had this knockdown, drag out fight. They came to blows and maybe they did, but we, we really don't know that. What we do know is they had a sharp disagreement. And what we also know is they parted ways. But we also know they reconciled. They reconciled. Look at these scriptures. I'm going to put them on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. This, 2 Timothy chapter 4. It, it, this is Paul's dying words. Paul is about to be beheaded. He is beheaded by the Romans. He's about to die. And listen, listen to what he says. He's in prison. This is what he says. Only Luke is with me. Get John Mark and bring him with you. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Sometime... At some point, they reconciled. Or maybe the argument wasn't as bad as we make it out to be. They reconciled. Get John Mark with me. Bring him to you. Bring, bring him to me, Paul's saying. He's helpful to me in my ministry. Look at this one. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings. As does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. They worked together again in the future. They were reconciled. Philemon 24. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Here he's calling John Mark one of his fellow workers. And now he references Barnabas in 1 Corinthians 9.6. 1 Corinthians 9.6, he's talking about his apostleship, and he says, Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Now, I need to, I need to put in brackets there. He means to be in full-time ministry. <laughs> he means, is it only myself and Barnabas who can be in full-time ministry? They had a sharp disagreement, but they reconciled. They're an example of forgiveness and reconciliation and working together. What else happens in this passage? What else happens? Sometimes we're stuck making sandcastles in a driveway with a little bit of gravel. Let me explain that. About five years ago, Mercedes was about three years old. She'd never been to a beach before. And she's on the driveway with me, and she says, let's build a sandcastle, Daddy. Well, she's using gravel on the driveway. She did not have a big picture with greater understanding of what sand is like. That sand is malleable. God wants to make us like sand where he can work with us. Sometimes we are stuck making sandcastles with gravel on a driveway as opposed to being mature and seeing the big picture. Let's look at the big picture right here. In verses 39 through 41, two missionary journeys happen instead of one. Paul and Barnabas could have been one missionary journey going to locations. But instead, Barnabas took John Mark and Paul took Silas. There were now two journeys proclaiming the gospel to places. God took a bad situation and turned it around and used it for the good. Paul chose Silas, and Silas was a Roman citizen. And we will hear more about that in chapter 16, verse 37. If you keep reading through the book of Acts, Paul was a Roman citizen. Silas was a Roman citizen. That was a big deal. God used this for the good. Point of application. Who do you, who do we have to reconcile with? Is God convicting any of us right now to have conversations with others for reconciliation, for forgiveness, for letting go?
Matthew 5, 23 through 26. This is Jesus talking. Jesus says, Therefore, if, you have, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. That's pretty amazing. This passage is telling us that restoration is more important than an offering. Restoration. Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar. Go and be reconciled before you come back to worship and offer that gift. And that is violated too often in our churches. We brush things under the rug and it comes up again. We brush it under the rug and it comes up again. It comes up again. It comes up again. Relationships are important. Matthew 18, 15 through 17, Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Just one-on-one, have a conversation. Don't gossip about it. Don't get on Facebook or Twitter or any of those types of things. Just one-on-one, deal with it. Jesus says, if they listen to you, you... You have, won your, you have won them over. If they listen, it stops. Everything's done. Everything's settled. Everything's good. Jesus says, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. By the way, that's an Old Testament quote right there by Jesus. Jesus continues, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, which really means just an outsider, just an outsider. As, you know, it means something to be part of the church. And this is Jesus' instruction for restoration. It starts just one-on-one, and then you bring two others in, and then maybe the church elders. That's how you deal with things. Conflict resolution begins with a small circle, a small circle. You go and talk to the person who has offended you. Then if there's no resolution, you bring another person in. Then two people in, and then the church leadership. And remember, what did Jesus say? Restoration is more important than giving. Those commands come from God's word. Those commands come from God's word. Forgiveness is critical. Forgiveness is critical. And that's this, this, this theme. We need to forgive. We need to reconcile. We need to let go. Remember that song from Frozen. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. You have it stuck in your head all day. You know, forgiveness is critical. Let go of things. We must confess sin. One other scripture. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. The Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We need to forgive and let go. If we expect God to forgive us, we need to forgive others. This is a Lord's Prayer, and notice that this request implies that we have forgiven others. Richard Foster, Richard Foster says that we always must give in order to be able to receive. We must give in order to be able to receive. Richard Foster says, and this is a quote, it is simply by, let me start over, it is simply that by the very nature of the created order, we must give in order to receive. I cannot, for instance, receive love if I do not give love. People may try to offer me love, but if resentment and vindictiveness fill my heart, their offers will roll off, my, roll off me like water off a duck's back. If my fists are clenched and my arms folded tightly around myself, I cannot hold anything. We must give forgiveness in order to receive forgiveness. Forgive others. 
Jesus said to forgive repeatedly. Actually, if you read Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 25, Jesus repeatedly says we need to forgive people. Forgive repeatedly. Withholding forgiveness leads to actual hate. And that builds up inside. I want to give to you the forgiveness, this forgiveness pyramid. I was taught this in a counseling class way back in seminary. And it's also actually on a video on our website from one of the uh, devotions that I gave on Facebook Live. Uh, it's on the videos tab. I think it's very helpful. So, you know, if any of us are struggling with forgiveness, we start with remembering the hurt. Remember the hurt. Let me walk you through this. Remember the hurt. When we are hurt, we often try to protect ourselves by denying it. But if unforgiveness keeps intruding into your thoughts and feelings, consider forgiving. Recall the hurt as objectively as possible. Don't rail against the person who hurt you. Don't waste time wishing for an apology that will never be offered. Don't dwell on your victimization. Remember the hurt as objectively as possible. Instead, admit that a wrong, instead of expecting an apology, instead of railing against the person, admit that a wrong was done to you. Admit that a wrong was done to you and set your sights on its repair. Remember the hurt. Next, you empathize. Empathize with the other person. Empathy involves seeing things from another person's point of view and identifying with the pressures that made the person hurt you. Try to see things from their point of view. Try to identify with the pressures that caused them to hurt you. How would he or she explain the harmful acts? Forgiveness is facilitated when we can look at the transgression from multiple perspectives. Try to look at the transgression from multiple perspectives as objectively as possible. The harmful act is seen more objectively when we can step outside of the victim role. We have a chance to view what happened from a bigger perspective, one that includes the human and the divine. Remember the hurt, empathize, and then you offer an altruistic gift. Altruistic means selfless. You offer a selfless gift, an altruistic gift. And that gift is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift. Empathy can prepare you for forgiving. But to give that gift of forgiveness, consider yourself. Consider yourself. Have you ever harmed or offended a friend, a parent, or a partner who later forgave you? I think we all have. Think about your guilt. Then consider the way you felt when you were forgiven. Most people say, I felt free, the chains were broken. By recalling your own guilt and the gratitude over being forgiven, you can develop the desire to give that gift of freedom to the person who hurt you. Give that gift of freedom to the person who hurt you. That's the altruistic, the selfless gift. Remember the hurt. Empathize with the person. Give the gift of freedom, the altruistic gift. Make the commitment. Make the commitment to forgive. When you forgive, you can eventually doubt that you have forgiven. When people remember a previous injury or offense, they often interpret it as evidence that they must not have forgiven because they remember it. If you make your forgiveness tangible, make it tangible, you are less likely to doubt it later on. Tell a friend, tell a partner, tell a counselor that you have forgiven the person who hurt you. Write a certificate of forgiveness stating that you have, as of today, forgiven. Let go of that. Make it tangible. 
Remember the hurt. Empathize. Give the altruistic, the selfless gift of forgiveness. Commitment. And then you hold on. And then you hold on. When you doubt that you've forgiven, remind yourself of the pyramid. Refer to your certificate of forgiveness and tell yourself that a, that a painful memory does not disqualify the hard work of forgiving that you have done. Instead of trying to stop unforgiving thoughts, think realistically about the forgiveness you have experienced. If you continue to doubt your forgiveness, work back through these steps to reach forgiveness. Remember the hurt. Empathize. Altruistic gift. Commitment. Hold on. I encourage you, if you're struggling with forgiveness, consider making it tangible. Work through these steps. Have you been offended? Have you offended someone? Maybe it's time to make things right. Maybe it's time to apologize. Maybe it's time to ask for forgiveness. We are all sinners. We are all stuck making sandcastles on a driveway, not on a beach. You know the difference between gravel and sand? You can work with sand. God wants to work with us. He wants us to be sand. He's a potter. We're supposed to be the clay. As we grow in Christ, God wants to make us more like him and less like the world. He wants us to grow up in him, to be mature in him. To do that, we need to be reconciled with people. We need to be able to work with people, be malleable with people. That means that God wants us to be more loving. God wants us to be reconciled. God needs us to be sand, not rock. He needs us to be malleable. We cannot... We really cannot have a holistic body, a body of Christ, until we are reconciled and we deal with those things that entangle us. I urge you all, in love, if you're dealing with any unforgiveness issues, if you're dealing with any divisions, with a church family or with your own family, with your own friends, with your coworkers, with your sphere of influence, approach each other this week. Just one-on-one. -on -one. Pray first, of course. We see the Apostle Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark's disagreement. It did not separate them. It did not separate them. So we all should be like Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. We can move on. We can be reconciled. We can love. Even in hurts, haves, and hang-ups. Of course, the first step is, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you committed your life to him? The Bible can be summed up with the acronym that spells gospel. I've gone over this with you before. Let me go over it with you again. God created us to be with him. God created us to be in a relationship with him. We see that in Genesis 1 through 2. Adam walked with God in the Garden of Eden. But our sins, those wrong things we do, they separate us from God. We see that in Genesis 3. When we sin, we sin against a holy, righteous God. And our sins, they separate us from him. Through the rest of the Old Testament, we see that sins cannot be removed by good works. Our good works do not cover our sin. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Jesus' blood covers our sin. We see that in Matthew through Luke and in the New Testament. Everyone who trusts in Jesus alone have eternal life. And life that's eternal means we will be with Jesus forever. Revelation 22.5 The Bible uses four verbs to describe our commitment to Christ. They're confess, believe, trust, commit. Confess, believe, trust, commit. We need to confess we are sinners in need of a Savior. Repent of your sins. We must believe in Jesus. Believe John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Believe John 14.6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So you confess, you believe, you trust, and commit. Have you committed your life to Christ? 
Are you surrendered to him today? The Christian life can be summed up with this sentence. We firmly make the decision to be with Jesus in order to become like Jesus and in order and to learn and do all that he says. And then you arrange your affairs around him. Have you firmly made the decision to be with Jesus in order to become like him and to learn and do all that he says and arrange your affairs around him? If you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that today. If you have done that and you backslid and you've fallen away, today is the day to rededicate your life to Christ, to live for him. To be a follower of Jesus. We're called to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to give a closing prayer at this time. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you and we come to you asking forgiveness. We always need your forgiveness first and foremost, Jesus. Help us to live for you. Help us to follow you. Lord God, if anyone here, and I'm sure some are, maybe all of us in some way, if any of us are withholding forgiveness, or maybe we don't even realize that we need reconciled with a brother, a sister, a family member, a friend, a coworker. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be reconciled. Lord God, we can't do it on our own on our own. We need your help. We need the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask for your guidance and your strength and your support. Help us giving forgiveness to other people. Help us repenting to others. Help us being like Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. Working together, even after we have a disagreement, a dispute, a faction. Lord, we need your help. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has not committed their life to you, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day where they confess they are sinners in need of a Savior repenting. Believe in you as the only Savior. Trust in you and commit to you. Lord, we need your help. We always need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for the closing hymn, number 425, Cleanse Me. Number 425, Cleanse Me. The altars are open. If anything we've uh, talked about today, said today, or maybe even throughout the week is stirring your heart, and you just need some silent, meditative prayer time, come forward to the prayer altars and pray during this closing hymn.